Hello and welcome to episode 34 of Of Poetry Podcast with the poet Jason Myers. Jason Myers is the author of the poetry collection, Maker of Heaven and from Bell Point Press 2023 and A Place for the Genuine from Erdman's forthcoming in 2024, a nonfiction collection. Myers is a National Poetry Series finalist and has published poetry and essays in The Believer, Image, Kenyon Review, Orion, The Paris Review, and numerous other magazines. His writing has been nominated for Pushcart and Best New Poets and was introduced by Campbell McGrath as part of American Poets Emerging Poets feature. He is co-executive director of EcoTheo Collective and editor-in-chief of EcoTheo Review. An Episcopal priest, Myers lives with his wife, Allison Grace Myers, and their son, Robinson, in Texas. Hi, and welcome, Jason. Right. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. I want to make... Oh, yeah. Yeah, um, go ahead. I was mostly going to make a note about how we know each other as friends. Um, And how far back should I go? Should I go back to the very beginning or, or sooner? Okay, so I I met Jason online on Twitter. I really think it was, it was definitely after 2016. It was the first year that Shara Leslie, um, a wonderful poet on Twitter, had started the September Women Poets hashtag and was sharing collections by women. I'm in, I remember seeing this guy online (laughs) sharing lots of collections by women. So of course I was suspicious and you know kind of like watching him carefully but he seemed like really nice actually and um and I think having like a a high sensitivity to like creepiness factor or (laughs) we always have you know like I did have that um but getting to know Jason across the years I mean you I realized like oh this person is actually genuine and meeting someone like that. I think that's rare. Um, and we've just become close friends through our work. Um, I was a reviews editor, eco Theo for a few years and, uh, we know we work closely through that, but we also have a group text and we keep in touch and share memes and all that, that goodness. Um, dumplings. Now we've had dumplings together at AWP two years in a row. So it's a tradition. Um, yeah, so that's that's part of how we know each other. And um, I think that Jason's work, he just supports others with such enthusiasm and realness and is a, such a model um, in terms of community building and uplifting others and not taking up so much space himself. At, or I think that that's an incredible aspect Um and really essential um, to how Jason like moves in the world of literature. And I mean, community, I think just is inspired around him and that that's a real testament to his labor and commitment. And again, I think genuine enthusiasm and love for others. So um, yeah, that's my unqualified um, uh, praise of Jason Myers, who I'm just so thrilled to, um, celebrate his debut collection maker of heaven and today and to hear palms from this just sensual ecstatic um 
serious but also like full of play collection so welcome jason thank you oh i'm gonna cry um <laughs> that was such a moving introduction and just yeah so moving to hear the history of our friendship and i've been so inspired by you over the last several years getting to know you and witnessing the ways that you do all of those things that you support other writers and create community and uh, i'm such a fan of this podcast and, and so grateful to get to be on it um, you know one of the best panels that i was at at wp just the other day was um, a tribute to the organizer of furious flower um joanne dr joanne gavin um, and i was i like went in not really knowing who she was, but I, I knew about Furious Flower. But I knew like the poets that were on the panel were so incredible. Uh, you know, Tahemba Jess was there and Ramika Bingham Mercer and um and Jericho Brown and and Jericho just like took us to church and and made us weep. Like um and so I think there's just something so powerful in in this work that we do to like bring poets together and to share poetry, um, which for me is so deeply spiritual and so essential to my understanding of vocation. And, and I'm just so glad to, to be with you and to get to share some poems. So um, I'm going to read the opening poem in this collection. Um, so a lot of the poems in this book are informed by the ancient Hebrew practice of Midrash, which is a way of reading in and around and behind the canonical um, scriptures to imagine kind of what the stories are um, underneath the stories or behind the stories, um, the Bible behind the music. Um, and so this, this first poem is in conversation with um, a story from the first chapter in the Gospel of Luke. Uh, so, how to make a sound, Luke 1. There was a time, like Zechariah, I did not believe I'd become a father. We had waited, my wife and I, and waited, and waited some more. I wasn't forced into silence the way Zechariah was. No angel condemned me for my pride, my want of knowledge. We had plenty in our lap. What knowledge could I have desired anyway? One day, after months of frozen dinners and cheap wine, binged series after binged series, a child arrived. His mother placed him in my wife's arms, then mine. The night before, after margaritas and restless scanning of the starless sky, I had fallen into a sleep so dark, the dream that came wrecked me awake. An expanse of grass as omnivorous as the ocean and way out the edge of the horizon, a horse. 
maybe not a horse, maybe an old man bent by years of hauling his life from one meeting to the next. His life, his life is very light. I tried to call to the creature on the horizon to say, you there, I know you, I see you. But as in many dreams, I had no voice. So when I held for the first time our son, what slipped from my mouth was part cry, part spill of almost verb, a word like love, insufficient, immeasurable, imperfect. Thank you. Hmm. I think I want to start by asking you about sound and you have a series of oral histories um, that I can't I'm just trying to remember this morning if they had retained their titles from the earlier drafts that I read I, I wanted to say yes they had oral histories Yes, they're still called oral history. Mm -hmm. For a while, I was giving them like a number. So oral history volume number. Um, but when I moved them into this collection, I gave them um, sort of uh, adjectival. Uh, so there's oral history of insatiability and oral history of silence. Um, Which I love. And... Um... I mean, this is such a, a sensual collection and you pay so much attention to sound and taste and touch and, um, which, you know, I think there's the assumption, like our children learn poetry in school and they're taught like, oh, pay attention to all these senses. So it's something you're taught very young and it's like, you think it's like a building block of poetry, but it's actually, you know, like how close a poet is to those things and how far away is such an interesting um, exercise to look at in books. Um, and you are very close to these things. And I kind of was laughing with you over dumplings that like when you write about food, like when I write about food, it's so much more, um, it's so much more about Southern iconography and symbol mm -hmm. for me. Mm -hmm. Like if I say mm -hmm. biscuit, I mean, mm -hmm. like, but when you write about food, like we're eating, like you taste mm -hmm. it. Um, mm -hmm. And those are, those are just different works. And I was wondering if you wanted to say something about sensuality in your work mm -hmm. and how you came mm -hmm. to it and whether you've been mm -hmm. farther or near it in the past or present. Yeah, I love that question. And I love thinking in and through the senses um and one of the essays from the book that i'm working on um i kind of examine that phrase come to your senses um which we usually use in the sense you can't avoid the word in the sense of um you know kind of like reason but i really think that it's like an invitation 
like we like we really should all come to our senses right we should all be in our bodies and aware of what we're seeing and what we're hearing and what we're tasting and what we're touching and what we're feeling and um so i think that that poetry is this opportunity to connect with the senses and sound is certainly a great pleasure but as you mentioned like taste is is uh, something that that is very important to me as an individual and therefore exhibited in in my writing um and i also love kind of synesthesia like the overlapping of senses and the kind of weird ability to experience one sense through another i love you know one of my favorite verses in scripture is taste and see um the goodness of the lord um somehow when we taste something we then see something um and uh, I love this book, The Spell of the Sensuous by David Abram. Um, and he talks about kind of the the ecology of sound and language, um, like an ecological language and how um, our earliest human experience of language was as a music um, and that we've gotten very abstract with language and we've come to use language for all sorts of different reasons, but that um, in its sort of primal form, it's a, it's a music and it's about um, conveying pleasure and conveying distress and conveying need and desire and, um, and affection. And um, so I think, you know, uh, at the at the end of that poem that I read, at the end of the first poem of this collection, it goes to that sort of feverbal state and sort of recognizing the liminality and the limit of language, even as it's using language to convey that sort of state of wonder and relishing in the sense the sensuousness of of language. Yeah. It brings up for me um kind of somatic therapies too. And mm. um I mean I think it was the poet um Marlanda the kind who said said I think it might be in their biography, but like um either a line about like coming back into their body or trying to be live in their body and um, I think that's something like we take for granted that like, well, of course we're in our body, like we're hearing things, we're seeing things, we're tasting things all day, but you can literally live without those things and mm -hmm. you survive. Mm -hmm. And when I think about like, just so often, um, you know, like when you disconnect, when you, um, I literally forget this word all the time, disassociate. <laughs> even though it's one of my favorite things to do when you disassociate and um to protect yourself and you just you don't right you cut off those things because mm -hmm. the feeling's overwhelming it's too much it's um you feel safest when you don't but the things that get you back into your body are mm -hmm. awareness and attention to like the feel of your clothes the taste of your mm -hmm. food the temperature mm -hmm. around you like it's literally like this attention that brings you back to life mm -hmm, um mm -hmm. 
and um you know my sister is um also a you know you're a priest she's a pastor um and she does a mm-hmm. lot of um therapy work and she's like spends a lot of time counseling people back into their mm-hmm. back into their bodies and mm-hmm. in, in in safe environments of course and um but i mean it's interesting that that we can be taken out in that way mm-hmm. but that poetry mm-hmm. poetry can bring us back um especially if it doesn't get too in its head which right. i think is always like that's a temptation for me is to get too in my head mm-hmm. um and forget the body so yeah. i'm sure there are people who love i mean there's like lots of abstract poetries and more intellectual poetries and mm-hmm. uh, but the idea that those things are opposed and that there's like the body versus the intellect is just the hilarious false binary and mm-hmm. i hope we all <laughs> continue to write and work mm-hmm. against that mm-hmm. um because yeah i just i think it's such core grounding work to do um are there i mean i think of your epigraphs that you have an epigraph mm-hmm. um from Lucille Clifton's mm-hmm. Cutting Greens and then also Mary Oliver. Mm-hmm. So these are two poets mm-hmm. who attend very, very closely um, mm-hmm. to their daily world. They're both kind of known for their poetics of like ordinary every day. Mm-hmm. Um, is there something you'd like to say about either of, of those? I know they're very special people to you, both of those poets. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, amazing good fortune of studying with Mary Oliver at Pennington College. And, and um, it was a gift that I didn't fully recognize or appreciate. I mean, I, I loved her. I adored her and I took as many classes with her as I could that I didn't know that she was Mary Oliver, right? Like I wasn't aware that like that she was the poet that like people that don't like or read poetry love Mary Oliver. Um, So um, she, and she was so unassuming in person. Like she just had uh, this very gentle, uh, nature and she was always wearing you know like jeans and a loose fitting sweatshirt and um you know was was in no ways um putting on any kind of airs um and um yeah I, I had such an amazing time studying with her at Bennington um, and I continue to study with her. Um, she's a poet that I just continue to return to so frequently and find so much sustenance and instruction in her work with its sensuality and its attention to um, the natural world and the more than human world. And um, there's that moment in one of the Blackwater Pond poems where um, it's like asking, you know, it's like, you know, drinking water and then, you know, kind of the, I forget if it's the soul or the body asking like, oh, what is that delicious thing that just happened? Um, and um, 
you know, when I read her work and Lucille Clifton's work, I often think of lines by the poet Wendell Berry when he says, we're alive uh, within miracle by mystery. Um, and I think that, that both Mary Oliver and Lucille Clifton attune us to both the miraculous and the mysterious, that, um, that they recognize that in the ordinary and everyday and the things that they encounter, um, you know, that poem, Cutting Greens, you know, she's in her kitchen and she's just chopping some kale and some collard greens and, you know, she's making dinner. Um, and she has this sort of revelatory moment. I taste in my natural appetite, the bond of live things everywhere. It's just this sort of like glorious recognition of, um, you know, everything is everything. Um, and um, and I've uh, and I feel that when I when I read both of those poets, I also often think about um, you know Mary Oliver in an interview said once that um, that the world didn't have to be beautiful to be intelligible, um, right? That like existence could could exist without like the grandeur of the sky and sunsets and forests and oceans and, and all of these things. And yet like in our bodies, we register those things as sublime and beautiful and ecstatic. And I, and I kind of, I think about that too. in in the experience of eating, like, you know, our bodies can subsist on, mere caloric intake right like um and and sometimes i do that like if i'm just hungry i'll just eat whatever is at hand and it doesn't have to be particularly flavorful and yet you know there's curry there's cardamom there's cayenne there's like there are all of these things that are these wild flavors that that make taste and make eating such a pleasurable experience and such a sort of revelatory um, expression of, you know, for me as a person of faith, like I feel, I taste and I see the goodness of the Lord, right? When I have something that, um, when I have a delicious dish, um, I, you know, it's, it's similar, uh, it's a similar experience to me as the experience of worship or the experience of prayer or um you know other other ways of, of encountering uh, what i experience as the divine part of what i'm hearing when you're talking about clifton and mary oliver um especially is you know this idea of sacramental poetics mm -hmm. and sacramental mm -hmm. theology mm -hmm. which when i first learned about maybe five seven years ago it like blew my mind because mm -hmm. I grew up in such a binary fundamental Christianity where it was like, there's the world and there are Christians, mm -hmm. there's us and there's them, there are good acts mm -hmm. and there are bad acts there. Are, um, but it was, you know, from, it was, it was a hard, it was a hard way to live and to think, mm -hmm. but also I'm like, neurodivergent and going through that process right now and mm -hmm. black and white thinking is like very attractive to people with neurodivergency mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, so, mm -hmm. so like learning sure. learning that things are more complicated 
learning that things are more, it's more, so much more about entanglement. Um, and you know, I keep mentioning this everywhere I go, but we but I just finished mushroom at the end of the world. Mm -hmm. And between Mm -hmm. that and the last of us, like thinking about, um, kind of the mycelial connection of things Mm -hmm. and, Mm -hmm. um, that we are so entangled Mm. and iris iris murdoch has helped me really think through this too because you know she writes about basically how there's no such thing as a non-moral act right like Mm. all things and Mm. um and sacramental theology is more about like all all things are in praise all things are um elements of worship um, and that you just can't parse out pieces from your life and be like, no, this is worthless. No, this is nothing. No, this is. And it's like, no, actually. Um, and like, sometimes this will come up in when I teach a class, when we're talking about like moral acts, non-moral acts, because I can mm-hmm. usually work in like ethics and language through this, you know, this, <laughs> this door. Um, and something I give as an illustration to my students is when you pick up your phone, you're like, whatever, I just picked up my phone. I just said, hello. But like, even the way you say hello, like mm-hmm. when it's your mom, how do you say hello to your mom? Mm-hmm. How do mm-hmm. you say hello to your best friend? How do you say yeah. hello to a telemarketer? And they were all like, oh. <laughs> and like just one mm-hmm. word, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, so I'm, I just am so interested in that, like that cutting up greens that, mm-hmm. um, you know, doing the kind of attention work that Mary Oliver often does and poets often do. And this is in the Lucille Clifton poem as well, like alone, right? Are you a, are you a moral agent when you're alone doing a task that really doesn't require other people? Well, like, yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> you are. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I pulled up a Mary Oliver poem for a student at my work the other day to talk about attention to you know, and I was just trying to give them a, a touchstone, and I so I pulled up Wild Geese, but Wild Geese opens with like such a big, a big abstract kind of declaration, right. which is right. very defining. You do not but have to be good, right. you do not have yeah. to be good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, that kind of so I'm like trying to show my students something about like specific attention. And I'm so distracted by like how bold and amazing and opening of that poem, because that's something we tell ourselves every single day, right? Like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you have to be good. You have to be good. How do you do that? What are the rules? Like, how does this work? Oh God, that social interaction fell short by a hair's breath. Now I shall think about it all day, you know, mm-hmm, <laughs> over mm-hmm. and over. Um, So being more comfortable with failure and, and knowing, I think if you're not open to yourself failing every day, like that's a hard burden to put on yourself. Um, I'm wondering if you would like to read an oral history poem at this point. Oh, I would love to. Let's see. Comes first. I'm thinking, of course, about oral history of silence, but if you want to read yeah. another one. There it is. Oral History of Silence. I woke in the wreck of history, a slight sight in my seeing. My body wet with what I guess was sweat, but might have been blood. They will know we are Christians, 
by our conquests. No, wait, that isn't right. I keep getting things wrong and wrong and wrong. It's how I know I'm white. Well, well, well. What I'm trying to say is, sorry, I saw the Sarah exhibit, behemoth bones of rust. I saw two black men carry spines of steel to a dumpster. More in trees, on streets. I saw white men say this was normal, nothing to get upset about. They were sad they couldn't watch a nice sport without thinking of justice, crying, crying, crying in cities, in the woods, in the past. The past keeps happening so often I've decided to call it the future. I'm reading the history of holiness. It's a very frail book. I'm reading a collection of apologies. I want to be true to what I've seen, what I've heard. For months, I've sought an appropriate vocabulary for prayer, but everything feels false. I know for the spider, silk is a lexicon of comfort, but for the fly, it is terror. I'm so afraid my love language is silence. Thank you. Um, I told Jason before we started that I mute myself now when a guest is speaking because otherwise I say, mm-hmm, or I affirm, or I laugh or something, and that's terrible for audio. Um, but Jason, you almost always make me laugh, even when it's like, it's so serious and there's something so, mm. um, the well, 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 like, how that hits um tonally mm. it's it's like perfect and I can't explain the kind of wry self-reflective acknowledging but also like it's like this mocking to it mm -hmm. and it's just mm -hmm. it's like um and I think that's such a gift to like be able to write about you know I mean this poem is is thinking about whiteness and um i mean the kind of social injustice of sports and it's just got it's, it has so many things in it um but there's also there's like a lightness and a deepness at the same time um and i often feel like i can hit one of those but both is hard <laughs> yeah yeah, I think that's one of the things that I'm not a um I'm I'm not an acolyte of Ashbury in the way that some people are, but that's something that I admire in, in his work is that kind of tonal dexterity and and that nimbleness and that recognition that we can be deeply serious one moment and then absurd at the same time and um and that that's just sort of like factual to to existence that um that things that are 
things are happening that are very terrible and and demanding of of attention and contrition and and all of this and that um simultaneously um you know we're surrounded by um kind of um absurd culture and um and things that um, kind of require whimsy and um and but it is i mean it's a it is a it is a delicate um thing to try to juxtapose um because it can risk saying like oh this isn't this isn't serious when it is serious um or um you know and it can also um kind of make the the humor a little less effectual too but um you know i think um i think it's something that that i aspire to at times is that that juxtaposition between um the grave and the and the serious and and the sober with um kind of the absurd and the and the whimsical um, i'm working with writing students now and I'm like thrilled that it just makes me more reflective about writing. Um, and also I'm like a super pro when I talk to my kids now, but I'm, I was just talking with a writer the other day about kind of tracing the emotional rise and fall of their um, essay and like plotting it like you would a graph. Um, mm -hmm. and, and I think poems can have such like, switchback turns like they can mm -hmm. like, you know like literally on a line midline like in jam mm -hmm. emotion um and in such a small space um and it's less like i don't love the analogy of like a miniature or like a like there's like a visual miniature analogy like you're looking at a very small mm -hmm. painting very and like it feels so much bigger than that um like something you look inside and it's like much bigger on the inside or um yeah that there's so much that happens i i wanted to ask <laughs> so i love the way this poem closes um mm. i could spend a lot of time thinking about the lines i know for the spider silk is a lexicon of comfort mm. but for the fly it is terror like i feel like if mm -hmm. we having a book club about your book we could just sit there and talk about that for a long time mm -hmm, mm -hmm. i'm like what what is what is the lexicon of comfort what is it for you what is it for you as a writer what are the things you like these mm -hmm. in these you know kind of invisible sticky sticky structures we have around ourselves right mm -hmm. um but then you close i'm so afraid my love language is silence mm -hmm. and since you're here i really want to ask you about love languages Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> because there's been so much I think when they came out um the fundy community at least was so mm. parched for any kind mm. of psychology <laughs> that we were like oh my uh, god and wow. it blew our minds yeah yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and it's just not enough it's just not enough I mean, I think there, yeah, I think there are, I think there are useful typologies, right? That that um, that some of us 
do express our love for others through acts of service or giving gifts. And that's very recognizable. And it's like, you know, going back to what you were saying earlier about, you know, like sometimes black and white thinking is very appealing. It is that, you know, it is the lexicon of comfort, like to be like, no, this is how I express love. This is how I experience love. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and being able to be clear about that with the people that you're in relationship with so that you know, like, oh, okay, like, you know, my love language isn't gift giving or receiving, but that is your love language. So the fact that you're giving me something, even though this gift might not be something that I particularly want or desire, um, I, I receive it as an expression of your love, right? um that that line um at the end of the poem is is in some ways a um variation on uh, uh so when when the um the love languages came out um a family member joked about an, another family member like oh her um her love language is being left alone <laughs> because she's an introvert and so like um so I think that, um, that, you know, for introverts, like there is something they do experience love by someone saying like, oh, here, let me like give you time to be by yourself and to not have to be um, in, in conversation and community or whatever. Um, and, um, and I, I, I do love silence and it, um, it's difficult to stay in silence um, and um, and it's also um, it's a strange it's a it's kind of a paradox of for writers that that silence would be so appealing right like the, our our whole thing is like let me put, let me use as many words as I can to express all that is within me, right? Um, and yet the appeal of, of no language, of, of just, of be quiet. Um, yeah, so I love silence and I also wrestle with that love of silence. Um, I was reading some thing this morning that said um god doesn't care about our praise but our silence um but you know that's obviously just one one person's perspective but um but i do think that there are times when um when there's something that's so powerful or so aw awesome um and, and that that word has sort of lost its awe um, that we use it so often. But but when something uh, sort of to be awestruck is like to be silent, right? That you're just like, oh, wow. Yeah, I'm just shaking my head over here. Yes, yes, yes. Because um, <laughs> like I told you, I've been listening to this like audio engineer and talk about podcasting mm -hmm. and, and one of the tricks is um especially like because this is a pre-recorded show so i can edit afterwards but um 
even even live, you sit and you pause after a guest is done and you give a beat there because often the guest has another thought like just there with silence. And so just not just waiting. And then you had like this other beautiful thing to add. And so I think like when we think about creating space for each other, creating space in conversation, not interrupting, I'm an interrupter. So working on that, you know, um, and for some interruption shows like engagement with what you're talking about. And for others, it's, it's very rude. And so like kind of balancing those things. Um, and when you were talking, I was thinking about in scripture, there's throughout scripture, there's this metaphor of the cup, the spiritual cup Mm, and it filling up, Mm. you know, the cup overflows. I like that's a blessing image, um, or take this cup from me or it's a suffering image and, um, the ways we fill up and the way we empty out. And I feel like this does, you know, like I love the um, expression dovetail, like the dovetails with um, thinking about love languages and what fills someone up. And as an editor, when you are an editor and you give so much to the community and I'm an editor and sometimes, you know, we need the silence. Sometimes silence is the way of filling up sometimes it's being with other people and you just have to like balance this and figure out what you need and it's like asking yourself what you need is such a again coming back to the senses and being aware of your own body and um is such a good practice um and I've been talking with other editors about like approaching burnout and like what do we what should we do about this because i'm sure i'm not alone that um just feeling very emptied out mm-hmm. um, and awp was part of like filling back up because i didn't have mm-hmm. a lot of events mm-hmm. and i was able just to like be with other people and mm-hmm. um in kind of meaningful connection ways that weren't like super demanding on me physically and so that was helpful yeah. um but yeah, I was wondering if you have, when, especially like I think about when your books are coming out now, that you just have two incredible publications coming out this year and next. Um, what does that look like for you, you know, when you were writing these books? What did like filling up and emptying out look like? And, and what does that look like now for you? Mm. Mm. Love that question. Well, I mean, this, you know, the strange thing about this book is that, um, you know, I've been, this is my debut collection and I'm 40, how old am I? 42. Um, and I've been sending out a poetry manuscript since I was 25, let's say. Um, so, you know, 17 years, um, which is that the, I forget, what is the life cycle of cicadas? I think it's something like that. Maybe it's 12 years. It might be 17 years. I don't know. Maybe this book is a, is a cicada. Um, but uh, all that to say that, like, some of these, the, 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 um, the oldest poem in this, in this book um, was originally published in a different form in a literary magazine in 2007. 
Um, so, um, so there was a lot of um, em emptying and refilling and emptying and refilling as this as this came to be. Um, and there are a lot of poems that got written and discarded, um, and you know, whole manuscripts that <laughs> that are just you know in the cloud or uh, in a drawer or something. Um, to get to this, to get to this book, and the and the the prose book will be a little different because I'm I'm literally like in process with it, and and it actually um, got birthed at I think it was last year in Philadelphia. I was just having a conversation with a friend of mine who's an editor, and she we were talking about you know kind of writing projects and ideas and and I just kind of started talking about this idea that I had for books um and so I do think that um that there is this dynamic between the need for solitude obviously um you know most of us can't write when we're around other people you know like maybe in a you know, some people like writing in coffee shops and on planes and and um, and and can sort of you know put headphones on or tune out in some other way to get you know focused on the work. But um, I myself, you know, feel most productive when I'm like in a room by myself without any interruption. Right. Um, I went to this retreat center in western connecticut um, this past september um and that was really the last time that i wrote um you know um i mean I've, i've i'm a preacher so i have to write sermons pretty regularly and i um i, I usually write a letter uh an editor's letter for each issue of Ecotheer Review. And, and uh, you know, so I've written things, but, um, but in terms of, um, you know, working on my own creative literary output. And the last time that I was able to do that was, um, was when I was in a room by myself with no interruption, um, just, you know, looking out the window at the Hisatonic River and, and um, getting, connected with the, with the language and the, and the project um so i think it's it's that um that balance between solitude and then um you know our you know a lot of our a lot of my ideas um and inspiration you know comes emerges out of conversations with friends um, and out of um, conversations with um, the friends that I don't know, you know, like that, uh, you know, you, you, uh, you go to your library um, to find inspiration or I, you know, that's how I often get back into work. Um, if I'm feeling kind of disconnected and I pick up Mary Oliver, I pick up Lucille Question, and then it's like, oh, okay, yeah, this is this is how to do this thing. Um, 
Although sometimes that can also have the opposite effect. <laughs> if you read someone great and you're like, well, shit, I can't do that. Or maybe I shouldn't be writing. Um, but I often think about, um, I once heard Lucy Brock Roydo say that, you know, she could only write in October in her apartment in Cambridge when it was raining. Um, which is like so absurd, right? And also like also kind of liberating. Like if you know that that's the only way that you can write, then it's fine that you're not writing, you know, November through September because you don't write November through September. And it's fine on a sunny day in October in Cambridge to not be writing because you only write when it's raining and you're in your, you know, like, so I think, um, you know, we all have our, our mystiques and our, our, you know, demands upon our creative selves of like, these are the stipulations that I need in order to, you know, access that, um, that part of myself that, that is able to produce work of quality, um, and 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 that can be both a constraint and a and a form of operation. Yeah, silence too is can be really hard to find. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, I know. I mean, you have two kids. I have a four-year-old son, and um, and my partner is a writer. Like you know, so like finding that balance of like, okay, no, you can write now. You know um yeah and i watched i watched a tiktok the other day by someone who's like working and unhoused and so like at their job but then trying to find space to be um and they were saying like two of the things that are de really denied people who are unhoused is silence you have no control over silence so if you're in a warm environment say like a laundromat there's like noise constant 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 and like their headphones were dead so they they were like yeah i have no way to like have silence um and laying down that they were like it's been three days since i've like laid down um and i mean just traveling to awp you think of that like well it's like and it's in a perpetual travel state right which is like up and going and it's just the way it privileges certain bodies and you don't have you know that you can't I got home from AWP and I was sitting with my youngest on our couch playing a game with them. And I said, I felt like, like Bilbo Baggins. I just felt like some, I was like, I just need to rest my eyes. I'm just oh. going to close them. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't think I ever fall asleep with my children like that. And so he was just kind of in awe, like mom fell asleep sitting up like next to me. <laughs> I think I like really yeah. impressed them with how tired yeah. I was because I never do that. Instead, I was mm -hmm. like, I just need to pass mm -hmm. out for a minute. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey. Right. Yeah. I want to hear what? another poem yeah. from you. Yes. Me. Yes. Um, and I want a poem when we wrap up too. So I'm just telling you, I'm gonna be demanding more poems. Um okay. whatever you would love to read. I'm you have mm. these like, really cool sections in your book. Um mm -hmm. you have in the beginning. Let there be, mm -hmm. um, which is a fiat, right? Mm -hmm. All things seen and unseen 
and the body of Christ. So they're not all fiats or commands or dictates or laws. Like there's just that, mm-hmm. that one and it's a let there be, which is like a beautiful, mm-hmm. it's like maybe probably the most gentlest of what mm-hmm. we would call a fiat. I was curious, mm-hmm. do you find yourself, I mean, I know your book's brand new. You haven't done like a huge ton of readings from it yet. It probably still feels mm-hmm. kind of new in your hand. Um, and when you're navigating it, which <clears throat> I'm pretty sure this has to do with neurodivergency, but the fact that every time I read from my book, I'm like, sorry, I haven't learned to find my way around this book and I can't. Right. Um, right. So I just realized like, oh, just let the spirit lead what you're going to read. Um, but do you find yourself reading from a particular section more when you read or do you move throughout? I was curious. Yeah. I mean, I've, I, yeah, I really haven't given very many readings yet, but. I think I do kind of move throughout um, when I, when you, the reading that you um, were at in Seattle, um, I want to say that I read one poem from each. No, that's not right. I read, what did I read? I read two poems from in the beginning and then I read, um, no, I read three poems from in the beginning, and then I read two poems from the body of Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, for today, so far, I've read from in the beginning and let there be. So maybe I should give a little love to all three, seen and unseen, and and then I could end with the body of Christ. Um, I kind of want to read Maker of Um Okay. So there's two title poems for this collection. Um, so there's Maker of Heaven, and then there's Maker of Ben, uh, which is sort of in keeping with the uh, inspiration of Midrash. Um, you know, so one of the elements of our worship service in the Episcopal Church where I'm priest is um in in every service we say together the words of the nicene creed which includes the phrase maker of heaven and earth um and so i I just sort of wanted to unpack like what it means to be the maker of heaven and what it means to be the maker of end and what you know what that end might include um So this is Maker of N. And alphabets of oceans forlorn and your sister you speak to every morning and the silence in your speech and the yarn she carries in her bag made by hands smaller than sleep and the knitting of your mother's womb and fever blisters and the time it takes to boil water and the river, the cloud, the cloud, the river, the cloud, the river, the river, and public libraries and private libraries and libraries of skin and song and silk and sweets and Tokyo and Toledo and cans and basements of hoarders and caviar's exquisite calligraphy and the sun voracious and endless except for when it ends and what you thought you wanted and what you were afraid to ask, and your grandmother's handwriting and the arthritis that elongated her presses, and Dolly Parton 
and your ears ellipses and tents where families without work sleep and master building plans of churches across overpasses from tent cities and gangrene and cries heard and unheard and Spanish steps and calls to prayer and atheists and the pencils made by Henry Thoreau and Thoreau's unpublished erotica and galaxies and snails who speak neither French nor butter and parsley and flamingos oratorio and hydroelectric power and dams and engineers and erosion and drought and Georgia O'Keeffe's brushes, each hair, each pigment, a praise, a prairie, and sorcery of morel chanting, hear ye, hear ye, and gauze that says to blood, there, there, and the temple of the watermelon dripping stained glass, and trees consumed in fire, and trees that hung bodies like laundry, and trees that will be planted tomorrow and tomorrow and trees that take their tiny fingers and count and count and count then declare persimmons and the writers of exodus and the livers of exodus and bob marley and the whalers and the readers of exodus and its midrash and the bellies of words scratched to ecstasy and charles darwin and the galapagos islands and Taurus of evolution and eugenics and every pepper and the sauces they hot and fjords and ford and robert mcnamara and the million killed by his brilliance and blossoms 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 promiscuous in spring and yeast and salt and flour and egg and tearaway and virgil and his translators and sappho and hers and peony and mollusk and maybe and Van Gogh's sunflowers and starry nights and sowers and soar and the iron of Lucille Clifton, its wild steam and afternoon's abattoir and goose and gander and all the poets drinking cooling green tea and reading Mary Oliver's wild geese and presidents dead and queens dead and prime ministers dead and everyone without title or biography dead and the living dead and the Ozarks, and the Andes, and the Catskills, and all the rivers in that John Ashbery poem, and the television show The Jeffersons, and Thomas Jefferson, and Sally Hemings, and animals extinct, and insects, and the tongues of spiders, and Basho, and Lipo, and Cardi B, and Yi, and Arugula, and Radicchio, and Endive, and Kingfishers, and Carolina Wrens, and Cuckoos, and Audubons, and Corrigibility, and the cold sweat James Brown woke up in, and the bad suit he was buried in, and the Bodhi tree, and the numinous, and Nirvana, and the last tree Kurt Cobain saw, and seesaws, and slides, and swings, and newts, and lizards, and salamanders, and toads, and alligators, and snakes, and pimento cheese, and bourbon, and overbred horses, and all the covers of the Rolling Stones' wild horses, and Italy, and Little Italy, and China, and Chinatown, and the clothes Jack Nicholson wore in the 1970s, and every anomie, and ology, and osophy, and coal miners, and their daughters, and all the Opry's grand and old, and big cities, and little cities, and ghost towns, and pueblos, and ruins, and the villages of moles, and gophers, and grass, and grass, and grass, and the brain wider than the sky, and the sky, and earth, wind, and fire, and September, and all the months, and the moon, 
and the cello with her memories of bliss and all the children of Johann Sebastian Bach, his shoes and cantatas, and Billie Holiday's lovers and gloves and the harps and saxophones of the Coltrane's and fingernails and toenails and salons and Blue Ivy and Beyonce and Solange and Syrah and Mouvedra and Grenache and waiting and wanting and panting and thumbing and dizziness and daring and dread and Duende and the Grand Canyon and all canyons who feel inadequate by comparison and humiliation and adoration and anonymous art and the names flowers give one another and the affection of bees and hollow and holy and hello and how and water seethed into the ceremony of ice and this moment and this and this and this and palms become ash to remind you your dust and the body of Christ shrinking for you. Thank you. <laughs> oh, you're welcome. Thank you. Amazing. Um, I think it like it brings out a lot of your poet loves. Um, mm -hmm. It brings out Whitman for me, um, of course, with the anaphora and um, the free verse lines and the catalog and the list making. Mm -hmm. But I'm so interested in the fact that you like let you like you know, let the darkness in, you let some friction in that there is mm -hmm. it's not strictly a like I think learning to praise it's difficult if if you just only keep it to strictly good things um mm -hmm. and I'm not saying we praise evil things but like understanding that the world that this is how the world is mm -hmm. um <laughs> and acknowledging is important and also like there's a, a weird like if we act like everything's only always good or that it's just easily right. separated into binaries or um yeah and the fact that people can like that there's so many things that are like how they're used and how intent and yeah mm. it's a gorgeous poem thank you i love that uh, what you were just saying made me think of um Lucille Clifton's probably best known poem is Won't You Celebrate With Me? And I just love that, um, you know, that it opens on that moment that, you know, that invitation that feels so buoyant. And then the next line is that every day something has tried to kill me and failed, right? Um, you know, so we enter that poem of like, oh, yeah, it's a party, it's a celebration. And then it's like, what are we celebrating? Oh, white supremacy in America. Yay. Yeah. Right. And you can only, I think it's, it's really hard to celebrate survival while you're in survival mode, right? When our, I feel like when our lizard brain is full and. Mm -hmm. Mm. flight fight fawn freeze and yeah. um but like after like there needs there needs to be a celebration and we need to make mm -hmm, space mm -hmm. for that and right um like i said i think this came up when we were talking in in seattle but at the doe zone <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but ritual and thinking about ritual in our mm -hmm, lives and mm -hmm. that i struggle mm -hmm. like someone who was raised with um 
such very particular religious and Christian um, rituals, I sometimes struggle to kind of, um, what's the word? Just make ordinary ritual. Uh, and so mm -hmm. being intentional about this, like my therapist was talking about how commutes for a lot of people are really essential rituals in every day because they provide a buffer mm. and a space between our work and our home and so we're able to like mm. process mm. and decompress and like do in that and I was like oh wow that is so 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 mm. true because I've been talking mm. about struggling with um home and work because I worked so long mm. at home I taught classes from here in my office and led workshops and did a lot of writing and and now that I have a, a job that I leave the home for, it's helping home be a place of rest. And mm. I understand it differently, mm. like so differently. Mm. <clears throat> but I've also been avoiding my computer because I see it as work. So I'm, mm -hmm. I just started writing a new book and I'm writing it longhand and it feels like really mm. good and connecting. Mm. So yeah, again, that like sensual attention and paying attention to the things that ground us and Mm -hmm. rituals like what are those rituals um yeah 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 i was just um i was thinking about um, the beauty of of candles and incense and 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 that there's something about like okay like i have enough time for this incense to burn right like that's how much time I have to do whatever it is and I and I um I mean I say that as though it's some like daily practice that I have to like light a stick of incense and meditate or pray or do you know I don't that's not and I'm not I am not that good at ritual but but there's part of me that does appreciate um these things that we have that are markers of time outside of the digital you know, we're we're so um, attached to the digital that it can be good to mark time in other ways, right? Yeah, yeah. reminds me of two things. One is, um, well, once I had this really lovely cab driver back from Raleigh Durham Airport to home late at night, and my spouse like needed to be at home with our kids and we were talking about having homes like in North Carolina in the in the smells like the really weird old smells and homes and, and humidity yeah. and and he was like oh like all you need to do is just light a thing of incense and um, put it in your sink so it's not going to burn anything and then you leave the home and then when you come back your home is like filled with this incense and I was like that is so smart and beautiful um and it also i don't know if you've read the book um huga the h-y-g-g-e book um which is like the oh gosh i'm gonna get it wrong is it scandinavian but um, mm. i'm probably getting that wrong wherever it's from but huga has this idea of like comfort and um kind of like warmth and it's it's i think it's very comfort driven and I read it, I listened to it as an audiobook between like really emotionally challenging books and I like needed a palate cleanser. Um, mm -hmm. And it really brings up like, it, it's it's totally towards kind of um, 
It's like the way slow food movement compared to fast food. It's like that, but for mm-hmm. life, like it's mm-hmm. like the mm-hmm. slow life movement. And like, if you can do it with less technology and more like cooking your food and having time to read while you wait for the pot to cook for 45 minutes and have a glass mm-hmm. of wine and the fire is on. Mm-hmm. And it's um one of the beautiful things, which I think ties into our conversation is that huga is increased when there's contrast so if mm. you're cooking the soup and having this glass of wine and the fire is going or your little radiator here mm. or whatever, mm-hmm. and there's a storm outside, mm. suddenly the hookah is increased. Mm. And that's when everyone's mm. like, this is hookah. And also one of my favorite uh. things about this book was hearing the author not only say hookah a lot, but then yeah. there's the like adjective, I think, hookahly, like this very mm. hookahly. Like I loved yeah. it. So highly, highly rate that. Um as an audiobook to listen I to. I love that. Okay. <laughs> yes. That sounds delightful. Mm-hmm. Well, it makes me think of um, Naomi Shihab Nye somewhere in one of her books um, introduced me to this Japanese concept of, I want to, I think it's Yutori, I believe is the word, um, which is this um, a concept of like giving, allowing yourself enough time, right? Like, um, so like, getting somewhere that you have to be early so that you don't feel rushed getting there, right? Um, And I'm terrible at that. Like, I'm always like, oh, I don't have to leave yet. It's only going to take me 15 minutes to get there. And then I look at my clock and it's like 16 minutes before I need to be at the place. And so I'm like, okay, great, perfect timing. And then I hit traffic and I'm there like two minutes late and I'm cursing the other drivers, you know. Um, (laughs) But I think like when we can give ourselves the gift of like time like knowing like oh okay like um and i you know i've always been the the type of traveler that's like you know okay my flight's at what time okay so um how you know like how late can i leave to get to the airport exactly one hour before um and my partner is like the opposite like okay let's leave you know, let's make sure that we're at the airport two hours early. And I was always so like, oh, that's ridiculous. I'm just going to be sitting at the airport. Um, but like leaving Seattle the other night, the um, at 1030 at night, the line for the um, security was it took an hour to get through. So I'm glad that I was there two hours ahead of time because otherwise I would have missed my flight. Um, so yes, Utori and Huga, it's a good. Um, and speaking of time, I need to sign off pretty soon. So should I should I read one more poem? Yes, please. Okay. Any any requests or? <laughs> I'm gonna cut this part. Oh. I'm slowly spacing on the title, but it has the old actor's nipple in it. <laughs> oh. Eucharist. Eucharist yeah, okay. on page 67. Okay. Yes, please. Yes, okay. <laughs> Cutting that. <laughs> Eucharist. I want the world in my mouth. Walnut, avocado, nasturtium, ice wine, edelweiss, dictionary. Can you swallow sunset? I'll try. Himalayan salt and Morton's disappointment, exhilaration, hope, 
Lake Michigan, the Gulf of Mexico, the body of Christ, the bread of heaven. Sometimes in my motley desire, I've put things there that didn't belong. An older actor's nipple wanting to please to play a part. Words I did not mean or did not know the meaning of. Lips I thought I wanted or I thought wanted me. Sweet, sour, bitter, blessed. Oh, master, will I ever be slaked? Jason Myers, everybody. <laughs> Jason, thanks so much for joining me today. It was amazing. Thank you. Oh, so good. So good to be with you always. And I'll make sure to include a link to yes. purchase Maker of Heaven and in yes. the show notes as well as link you. to your website Thank and Ikadio and um yeah right. so excited Wonderful. thank you yeah um yeah no for real thank you it's still recording just because um it is and sometimes somebody says something and then I'm like why did it yeah. um thank you so much this is incredible it's gonna be such an amazing podcast um and um also oh hey real real quick question um yeah. what it means to be cold mm -hmm. oh yeah was that in your manuscript when i read it or no mm, i don't know because like holy I've, moly jason i've like taken out and put in so many oh my poems. god it's yeah. wow it's amazing like what I was just like, what? What is, oh my God. I mean, so many poems. I just think this is an amazing, amazing collection.